Section twenty seven of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century by Jules Verne. Second part, Chapter one, Part one. French Navigators, one D. Returning to Mauritius on the 8th of December, Kerguelen hurried his preparation for departure to such an extent that he was able to start upon the 12th of January, 1772. He steered southward, for, supposing that he found land in that direction, the nearest would naturally be the most useful for the French colony. From the 1st of February, numbers of birds seemed to indicate the proximity of land. Hail succeeded snow. The vessels experienced foul weather, boisterous winds, and a heavy sea. The first land was sighted upon the twelfth. Next day a second was discovered, and shortly afterwards a very lofty and extensive cape. The following day, at seven o'clock in the morning, the sun having dispelled the clouds, a line of coast extending some twenty-five leagues was clearly seen. The vessels were then in forty-nine degrees forty minutes southern latitude, and sixty-one degrees ten minutes eastern longitude. Unfortunately, storm succeeded storm, and the two vessels with great difficulty escaped being cast ashore. Kelgulen was driven northward by currents, shortly after he had sent a boat to attempt a landing. Finding myself so far from land, says Kerguelen, I reflected upon the best course to be pursued. I remembered that the state of my mast was too bad to allow me to crowd sail and leave the coast and that, having no sloop to carry my anchors, I was exposed to extreme danger whilst near the shore, that in the dense fog it was all but impossible to find the Gros Ventre from which I had been separated for several days. It was the more difficult on account of the tempest we had experienced, and the variable winds that prevailed. These reflections, and my conviction that the Gros Ventre was an excellent sailor, and that she was provisioned for seven months, determined me to return to Mauritius which I reached upon the 16th of March. Fortunately, no accident had happened to the Gros Ventre. Her boat had returned in time. Monsieur de Boisguienec, who had landed, had taken possession of the land with all the usual formalities, and left some writing in a bottle, which was found by Captain Cook in 1776. Kerguelen returned to France, but his successful enterprise had gained him many enemies. When, upon the 1st of January, 1772, the king nominated him captain, and Chevalier de Saint-Louis, the attacks upon him increased. The most malignant slanders were circulated. They even went the length of accusing him of having scuttled the Gros Ventre in order to derive all the benefit accruing from the discovery which he had made, in concert with Monsieur de Saint-Wallarne. The minister, however, was not influenced by these slanders, and decided to entrust the command of a second expedition to Kerguelen. The Roland and the frigate Oiseau left Brest upon the 26th of March, 1772, the latter under command of Monsieur de Sceaux de Rosnevet. Upon reaching the Cape, Kerguelen was obliged to put in for forty days. The entire crew was suffering from putrid fever, probably owing to the dampness of the new vessel. This appeared the more probable says the narrative, because all the dried vegetables, such as peas, beans, lentils, etc., together with the rice and a quantity of biscuits, were spoiled in the storeroom. The vegetables emitted a kind of steam which was infectious, 
and the storerooms became infested with number of white worms the roland left the cape upon the eleventh of july but she was almost immediately overtaken by a frightful tempest which carried away two topsails the jib and the mizen mast finally mauritius was reached by means of jury masts Monsieur de rochet and poivre who had contributed so essentially to the success of the first expedition had been succeeded by Monsieur de ternay and the intendant maillard they appeared determined to offer every possible obstacle to the execution of Kerguelen's orders. They gave him no fresh victuals, of which the crew had pressing need, and there were no means of replacing the masts destroyed by the tempest. In lieu of the thirty-four sailors who had to go to the hospital, he was provided only with the disgraced or maimed soldiers, of whom he was glad to rid himself. An expedition to the southern seas so equipped could only come to a disastrous end and that was precisely what happened on the fifth of january kerguelen sighted the lands he had discovered in his first voyage and between that date and the sixteenth he recognized various points croy island reunion island roland island which in his estimation made more than eighty leagues of coast the weather continued extremely severe thick fogs snow hail and gales succeeding each other on the twenty-first the vessels could only keep in company by constant firing upon that day the cold was so severe that several of the sailors fainted on deck the officers says kerguelen insisted that the ordinary ration of biscuit was not enough and that without more the crew could not possibly resist the cold and fog i increased each man's rations by four ounces of biscuit daily upon the eighth of january seventeen seventy four the roland signalled the frigate at reunion island communication with her was opened and m rosnevet declared that he had found an anchorage in a bay behind cape francaise that he had sent a boat on the sixth to take soundings and that upon landing to take possession the man had killed a sea lion and some penguins once again the prostrate conditions of the crew the bad quality of the victuals and the dilapidated state of the vessels prevented kerguelen from making a thorough investigation of this desolate archipelago he was forced to return but instead of returning to mauritius he landed in antongil bay madagascar where he was sure of obtaining lemons limes custard apples and other antiscorbutics as well as fresh meat an adventurer named benyovsky whose history is sufficiently curious had just founded a french colony there but he was in need of everything kerguelen gave him ammunition bricks iron implements shirts blankets etc and finally ordered his carpenters to build a store-shed for him thirty-four of the crew of the roland had died since leaving the southern regions and if kerguelen had remained another week in these latitudes he would have lost a hundred men on his return to france kerguelen met with nothing but ill-will and calumny in return for so much fatigue so bravely borne the feeling against him was so strong that one of his officers was not ashamed to publish a memoir in which all the facts were dressed up in the most unfavorable shape and the failure of the enterprise thrown upon kerguelen we do not assert that he was entirely free from blame but we consider the verdict of the council of war which deprived him of his rank and condemned him to detention in the chateau of Saint-Mur, most unjust no doubt the judgment was found to be excessive and the government discerned more malice than justice in it for a few months later kerguelen was restored to liberty the gravest charge against him was that of having abandoned his sloop 
and a portion of his crew in the southern seas who but for the opportune arrival of the fortune must have perished probably however even this was much exaggerated for a letter exists from the abandoned officer m de rosilly afterwards vice-admiral in which he begs to serve again under kerguelen the account of these expeditions is an extract from the apology published by kerguelen during his imprisonment a work which was confiscated by government and on that account is extremely rare we must now turn our attention to the account of expeditions which although they did not result in discoveries had an importance of their own they contributed to the rectification of charts to the progress of navigation and geography but above all they solved a long-standing problem the determination of longitude at sea to decide upon the position of a locality it is first necessary to obtain its latitude that is to say its distance north or south from the equator and its longitude or in other words its distance east or west from some known meridian at this period no instrument for determining the position of a ship existed but the rope known as a log which thrown into the sea measured the distance which the ship made every half minute the proportionate speed of the vessel per hour was deduced from it but the log is far from immovable and the speed of a vessel is not always the same hence arose two important sources of error the direction of the route was determined by the mariner's needle or compass but everyone knows that the compass is subject to variations and that the vessel does not invariably follow the course it indicates and it is no easy matter to determine the exact difference these inconveniences once admitted the question was to find a method exempt from them with headley's quadrant latitude could be determined within a minute that is to say to the third of a league but such an approximate exactitude was not possible in deciding longitudes when once the different phenomena of the variation of the magnetic needle either of declination or inclination should be fully understood it would be easy but how to obtain this knowledge it was well known that in the indian sea between bourbon madagascar and rodriguez a variation of four degrees in the declination of the needle was equivalent to a variation of five degrees in the longitude but it was equally admitted that the declination of the magnetic needle was subject to variations in the same localities for which no cause could be assigned verdun de la crenne writing in seventeen seventy eight says a declination of twelve degrees from north to south twenty years ago indicated a longitude of sixty-one degrees west of paris in any given latitude it is very probable that within the last twenty years the declination has varied two degrees which makes the longitude deduced from it wrong by two and a half degrees or nearly fifty nautical miles if the right time is known on board that is to say the correct time by which the meridian could be computed at the moment of any given observation and if at the same time the exact time at the port from which the ship had started or that if any known meridian could be ascertained the difference of time would evidently give that of the meridians at the rate of fifteen degrees per hour or one degree per four minutes the problem of the longitude could thus be reduced to a determination at a given moment of the time at any given meridian to achieve this it was necessary to have a watch or clock which should preserve a perfect isochronism in defiance of the state of the sea or differences of temperature many attempts had been made besson in the sixteenth century huygens in the seventeenth century and again sully harrison dutertre 
Galland, Rivas, Leroy, and Ferdinand Berthoud had attempted to solve the problem. The English and French governments, moreover, convinced of the value of a perfect instrument, had offered a high reward for its invention. The Academy of Sciences had instituted a competition. In 1765, Leroy sent in two watches for competition, whilst Berthoud, who was in the king's service, was unable to do so. Leroy's watches passed successfully through the various trials to which they were subjected on land. It remained to be proven whether they would be equally trustworthy at sea. The Marquis de Constanvaux had the frigate Aurora built at his own cost for the experiment. Leroy, however, decided that a cruise with constant stoppages at Calais, Dunkirk, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, and Boulogne, lasting only from the 25th of May to the 29th of August, was far too short, and he demanded a second trial. This time his watches were sent on board the frigate of Enjouet, which, leaving Havre, put in at Saint-Pierre, near Tenerife, at Salet in Africa, at Cadiz, and finally, after a voyage of four months and a half, at Brest. The trial had been a serious one, the latitudes and the state of the sea having both changed constantly. If the watch had neither lost nor gained, it won the prize, which was in fact assigned to Leroy. The Academy, however, knew that many other scientific men had bestowed their attention upon the subject, and for various causes had been unable to exhibit. They therefore proposed the same subject for the competition of 1771, and in 1773 they doubled the prize. F. Pertou imagined that he had reached perfection, but his watch had still to be tested by the trial of a long sea voyage. The Isis, a frigate of eighteen guns, was equipped at Rochefort, at the latter end of 1768, and placed under command of Chevalier de Vaux de Florienne, known later as Carré de Florienne. Florienne, then a midshipman, was already, though only thirty years of age, a well-known savant. We have already mentioned his name, and shall find further occasion to do so. But that his disinterestedness might be above suspicion, he selected several officers to assist him in observing the motions of the watch which was entrusted to him. Starting in November 1768, the Isis put in successfully at Cadiz, the Canary Islands, Gorie, the Cape Verde Islands, Martinique, San Domingo, Terra Nuova, the Canaries, Cadiz again, and reached Ez Island on the 31st of October, 1768. The watches, carried through climates alternately cold, hot, and temperate, had experienced every vicissitude of climate and at the same time had been exposed to all the variations of the sea in the roughest season of the year. After the trial, which had redounded so much to his honour, Berthoud obtained the rank and pension of an inspector of nautical watches. The expedition had other results which concern us more particularly. Florian took a number of astronomical observations and hydrographical surveys, which resulted in a well-founded condemnation of the maps of his country. For a long time, he says in his account of his voyage, I did not attempt criticism of the maps belonging to the society. I wished to limit myself to giving new details, by which they might be rectified. But I found such numberless and dangerous mistakes, that I should have considered myself culpable towards mariners, if I had neglected fully to point them out. A little further on, he justly criticizes the maps of a geographer who had at one time been famous. I will not undertake he says, to enumerate all the errors which I had found in Monsieur Bellin's maps. Their number is infinite. 
i shall content myself simply with proving the necessity for the work i did by indicating the more glaring faults either by comparing the positions of various places upon his maps with the positions they should have occupied if m bellin had been willing to use the astronomical observations which have been published at various times or by comparing other positions with those which we have determined by our own observations lastly after giving a long list of errors in the situation of the most frequented places of europe of africa and america he winds up with these judicious words upon glancing at a list of the various errors i have discovered in Monsieur Bellin's maps one is led to a reflection sad but true and inevitable if the maps of the best-known part of the globe and on which the greater number of observations have been taken are so far from correct what exactitude can we hope to find in maps representing less frequented shores and islands drawn and arranged by guesswork up to this time the watches had been examined separately and by different judges now arose the question of submitting them simultaneously to the same test and of seeing which one come out victorious for this purpose the frigate la fleur was equipped at brest and the command was given to a most distinguished officer verdun de la crene who was to become vice-admiral in seventeen eighty six the various stages of the expedition were cadiz madeira the salvage islands tenerife gore martinique terra nuova iceland which our explorers had some trouble to find the faroe islands denmark and dunkerque the narrative published by verdun de la crene like that of florian abounds in rectifications of every kind it is easy to see how carefully and exactly the soundings were taken with what care the coasts were surveyed but not a little interesting also is that which is altogether wanting in florian's publication descriptions of the countries and critical reflection upon the manners and customs of the different peoples visited amongst the most interesting particulars contained in two large quarto volumes we must mention those relating to the canary islands and their ancient inhabitants the Sereds and yolofs on iceland and the accurate remarks made by verdun upon the subject of the meridian of faroe islands it was the most easterly meridian of these islands he says that ptolemy chose for the first meridian it would doubtless have been easy for him to have selected alexandria for the first meridian but this great man was aware that such a choice would bring no real honour to his country that rome and other ambitious towns might covet this imaginary glory that every geographer every narrator of voyages arbitrarily choosing his own meridian would engender confusion or at least embarrassment in the mind of the reader clearly verdun regarded the question of the first meridian from a high standpoint as all really disinterested minds still do it gives him yet another claim to our sympathy let us conclude with a quotation from this author the watches came out of the contest with honour they had borne heat and cold they had been becalmed they had endured shocks as well as the vessels which carried them when it was wrecked at antigua and when it received charges of artillery in a word they fulfilled the hopes we had indulged they deserve the confidence of navigators and lastly they are of great service in the determination of longitude at sea the solution of the problem was found End of section twenty seven